The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, this is Greg. Look for my book, The Agile Brand, on Amazon or on my website at theagile.world. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. I'm excited to introduce this special episode brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. Today, we're going to talk about a very important topic, cloud enablement and DevOps. Organizations are continually trying to find ways to deliver their services better, faster, and more efficiently. This helps them improve existing value streams, find new revenue channels, and operate more efficiently. Thus, organizations are increasingly using what's referred to as microservices, which we'll get into in a lot more detail in a little bit, to transform from relying on monolithic legacy systems and applications to smaller services that are much more manageable and scalable. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Rick Madan of Tech Systems to the show. First, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at Tech Systems? Great. Thank you, Greg, and thanks for having us on the show. We're, uh, we're big fans of the show. Also, also big fans, if I could do, of, uh, of this right here, the nice. uh, Agile Brand book, uh, Little Royalty, You Can Venmo Me Later. That's Greg's awesome. book, everybody. Uh, but but seriously, you. big fans, big fans. Thank you. Um, I'm really fortunate to support and lead Tech Systems uh, Consulting and Professional Services Organization. Uh, I've been with the organization and the company in a variety of different roles for 21 years, uh, but germane to today's conversation, I've been really blessed that during most of that time, I've had opportunities to help continuously evolve what it is that, that we do, evolve our business models and our capabilities in line with our customers' ever-changing needs. Uh, that's really become the nucleus in the center of, of what we do, what we focus on, what we invest in, and it is our customer. Uh, and their needs uh, really have required us to take on a lot more in terms of risk, in terms of complexity. And those are the things that, that run hand in hand with a lot of the digital uh, and modernization and transformation type opportunities that, that our industry is currently yielding, much of, of, of what you mentioned in the, uh, in the intro uh, there. Great, great. Yeah. Um, so we're going to touch on a lot of different aspects of DevOps today, but why don't we start with talking about why this topic is so important for organizations? So first, uh, you know, what is the driving force for organizations to move from these monolithic legacy applications to microservices? Yeah, good question. A couple big drivers uh, jump out behind that that movement. For starters, there's a big cost dimension, a big complexity dimension. Uh, legacy and monolithic apps have typically been patched and modified into oblivion. Uh, they become more rigid over time. They become inflexible over time. They're really tough and costly to, to maintain and to support. Um, much less try to extend into the cloud, much less try to mine for data insights, uh, all of the kind of digital stuff that we talk about today. Um, so companies are, are looking to lower their corresponding technical debt uh, that stands in the way of that sort of progress. Uh, they're also looking to squeeze out any related waste in that process. Um, 
uh, and, and in a waste, which is typically redundancy, redundant process, uh, redundant code bases, uh, some of the patches that, that don't uh, work with any of the, the new, more digitally minded technologies that, that they're trying to harness. Uh, that kind of stuff is, is usually rife across the, uh, the monolithic environments. And, and in industry terms, they're ultimately looking to, to shore up their TCO, their total cost of ownership around those environments. Uh, so that's like, I, I would probably put all those things in sort of the, uh, the cost and efficiency uh, and automation dimension. Uh, but secondly, and, and probably more exciting is the dimension uh, where we talk about how microservices enables a lot of this new digital transformation and allows them to iterate faster and allows them to get to customers' needs uh, quicker, better, faster. And uh, I, I think to, to capture that a little bit, I liked what uh, one of our partners, Burke Bickler, I think on episode 10 or 11 yeah. of, of Agile World the, the, that you had on, Greg, he, he did a good job articulating that, saying that, quote unquote, the quicker companies can adopt, deploy, and release valuable customer-centric features, the bigger their competitive advantage um, so the monolithic legacy waterfally type environments and, and applications, they just don't lend themselves to that sort of, you know, easy, quick and, and iterative uh, release consciousness. Um, you know, you're looking at, at those big monolithic environments that, that are, are typically defined by either, you know, quarterly releases, by yearly releases, yearly releases. And we know how quick business is moving. We know how quickly customer needs change, how often requirements change. So by the time you're ready to release something, a, a, a patch, a software update, a new feature set to uh, improve CX, to improve the, the customer experience, well, guess what? Things have already changed. So <laughs> by the yeah, time you're ready to, absolutely. yeah, you know, dish out all this new technology, eh, the game has changed. So um, th that is probably going to make up more of the exciting bulk of, uh, of, of conversation today on, on how really microservices and this new DevOps consciousness um, really is like the expression, the technology expression of, of what Agile and Lean are doing for us in terms of a methodology, something that you obviously talk a lot about and you're an expert <laughs> about, Greg. But this is, this is really the, uh, the, the technology and, and software architectural expression uh, of a lot of that, uh, that consciousness. And um, at least here, it, it, it text systems specific to microservices. We really like how uh, IDC uh, portrays this uh, this movement that we in the tech sector in the middle of what they're calling a massive scale up uh, in IT and that during the next five years, uh, we're going to develop and release as many applications as we had in the prior 40 years inside of IT. I mean, that's just let oh, that sink yeah. in for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy stuff. That's a lot of code getting laid down. Uh, and really their prognostication uh, that, that I tend to personally agree with is that at the middle of all of that activity uh, is microservices. Uh, MSA, microservice-based architectures, is really serving as the fuel to allow all of that authoring to happen quicker, better, faster, and and to really you know cause this flurry inside of IT right now for, for app building. So uh, I could Great. keep going on and on. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so let me, uh, so, I, you know, you definitely mentioned a few really interesting things there. So talking about uh, moving from these legacy applications as a, a means of, you know, lowering total cost of ownership. I mean, definitely strong believer in agile and, you know, the benefits of doing that and everything from, you know, from software development to, you know, to other things. 
Um, so talk a little bit about uh, you. You already mentioned a lot of the benefits of of microservices, yep. but maybe for the for the audience, can you give an example of um, you know when a, an example of what a microservice might be? So moving mm-hmm. from this big monolithic thing to you know what what's a good example of that? So good example. Somebody wants to uh, buy something from Amazon. Let's say they want to buy it in bulk. Um, let's say it's a, a school or, or a, a superintendent's board or something like that. And they want to be able to federate that spend across a bunch of schools. It's got to be there in a certain date, time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in the kind of historic sense, that CX, that customer experience that they would go through on the UI uh, that was probably hooked in different ways and forms to big data sources, big repositories, uh, maybe sitting on-prem somewhere. There might have been some latency uh, in all of that. So even though you've got people just kind of clicking buttons on a, on a cool screen because they want to buy something and they put in their purchase size and how much it's going to cost and you know what sort of you know, shipping sort of logistics they, they, they want to choose – so many things have to happen <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah. So in the historic sense, there was, you know, and, and we, we know this as consumers for, you know, just this little online use case that, that, that I'm talking about for, uh, for retail, stuff never used to happen or get delivered next day. And it didn't happen in the right kind of box. My order wasn't, you know, always or, you know, whatever the, the latest ESAT is and, you know, 95% accurate to, you know, what I wanted and, 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 and all of that. And a lot of that had to do with the, again, prior, what I was trying to describe is is just this, you know, really big dependent kind of hodgepodge architecture where this massive application would have to understand the business logic, connect to the UI, extract from data sources, connect to some kind of logistical supply chain. You know, oh my gosh, that's just a lot of stuff there, Greg. So microservices starts to decompose all of that down and decompose the logic and decompose the code base and decompose the access and the configuration files and all of the the guts that go into kind of making applications run into little pieces, into into smaller kind of manageable pieces that can be portable if you containerize them. Uh, They can sit on different servers because you're going to be talking to different data sources. Um, and really the, you know, this is really just the latest architectural style that that affords for this, you know, more kind of linear customer experience up front by rationalizing the the interior, the architecture and the software. But prior to this, uh, you know, we do like to say that, that like microservices is kind of a SOA or service oriented architecture done right. Uh, but even prior to SOA and, and service oriented architecture, we had uh, like an you know, individual web services, if you remember, you know, back yeah. in probably like you know, mid to late 2000s. And then prior to web services, you had things like um, component object models and distributed component object models or enterprise Java beans that would encapsulate all kinds of, you know, logic and code and data. uh, So you could communicate in an enterprise across different networks or have different systems on different networks talk to one another through uh, remote procedure calls and stuff like that. So, you know, and not to get too tacky, I I, I do, I'll I'll get carried away. But yeah, this is, you know, microservices is kind of like the the latest generation of all of that almost evolution into way more of a uh, simple, linear, and easier to compute, house, and maintain kind of consciousness. So to follow that 
um, that trend a little further. Um, what do you see as, you know, now we're, you, you talked about a trend line basically starting yeah. at web server or not starting, but including web services and things like that. Um, what do you see? Are we just at the beginning of microservices or do you kind of see something on the horizon that, and, and kind of what is driving this? You know, you mentioned cloud, you mentioned, you know, some other things like what are the technologies that are kind of driving this change? The, the, the drivers for this were extreme, extreme simplification required and back to, to what we're talking about, how we're constantly looking for the, the technology expression that matches all of the goodness of agile thinking, agile thought, lean thinking, lean thought, where you don't want to repeat yourself. You want to be able to write once and run anywhere. And you don't like all these kind of principles that, you know, are, yeah. are sort of woven into agile. And this is just the latest one. So to answer the first part of the question, uh, brother, I have no idea <laughs> where it's going to go after. I'm sure there will be, you know, something much more, um, effective because I mean, what we've got today is the best of what we know today. Um, yeah. But I really like what folks like Gene Kim, if you're familiar with his writings, he wrote Phoenix Project yeah. and, and uh, you know, one of his big mentors in life, a guy named uh, Steven Spear, who's a big lean and, and agile writer and speaker, uh, professor at MIT. I really like how they take the where we're at with technology now and kind of break it into sort of a visionary uh, place is that we really are are so fallible with our plans uh, when it comes to systems, apps, IT, manufacturing systems. Yeah. And our plans are just so temporal. So we don't really know where things are going to go, but that's why we need an extensible sort of platform uh, with the right type of extensible tools, which is microservices, the architecture. But yeah. Because we just don't know where things are going to go. That's going to be the result of some sort of iteration where we get to velocity at some point and somebody figures something else out. So it's <laughs> right. Uh, you know, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. So, um, you know, you touched on total cost of ownership and, and you know, kind of the cost equation of uh, savings wise of, of microservices. So. Um, you know, as an organization is kind of switching from legacy to to microservices, um, you know, what are you know some of the challenges that they face, whether it's financial, technical, resources, otherwise, you know, what what can an organization expect as they make this transition? Great question. They can expect a lot. Um, <laughs> usually, and, and unfortunately, if we believe what uh, McKinsey has recently published on digital transformations because this is, you know, really microservices is just one of many big topics and juicy areas right now that, that sort of define digital transformation. But in a, in a recent report um, that they're getting attention for lately, anyhow, they asserted that 70% of these sorts of adoptions and transformations fail, you know, like microservices for a variety of, of reasons. Uh, but really on the ground, I could probably sum all of that up based on our own experience into three or four categories um, uh, in terms of challenge. It, and, and it's usually because you've either got a talent problem, you've got a, an organizational or political problem in, inside the, uh, the, the company, you've got a real technical challenge or technical problem, or you have a leadership challenge, leadership problem. So um, when, you've, when you start working with an organization, I would imagine there are some times where the organization comes to you and says, hey, we want you to do X, Y, Z from the start. But if you work with an organization to prioritize, you know, again, they have 20 legacy systems and they all need work. You know, how do you work to prioritize 
you know, what you work on first? Is it, you know, is it by low hanging fruit? Like it's easy to do? Is it what's causing the most pain? Is that I'm sure, you know, some of it, it, it varies a little bit, but you know, how, what, what's the rationale that you, that you use? That's, that's really good. We, we've got a, a continuously evolving approach for that. And when you use terms like low hanging fruit, that's exactly right. There's a way to score an environment and analyze uh, what is probably the least invasive uh, either workload up front or application up front that you can start to render down for adoption. Okay. Um, but a lot of that is contingent upon the leadership inside this and inside the given organization, the kind of the political organizational uh, considerations that, that I mentioned before, because some folks will have more bold leadership and they know that they can maybe run two environments at the same time. So while you're kind of rendering down and decomposing a, you know, big honking old application that's legacy and tough to maintain and all that, um, into and you're rendering that into something more modern. You're breaking it down, splicing it down into microservices. You're going to migrate it to the cloud. It's going to be you know leaner and all that cool magic stuff. Uh, really good leaders will say, "Hey, we're going to go ahead and suck it up and run that environment steady state while we almost have like a digital twin of this thing and really start to render it down mm. almost in parallel." Um, so those are the folks that can usually take on more than just the low hanging fruit and they can, uh, you know, almost look for like a, uh, a, a bigger, more mass adoption. But yeah, there are many different ways that, that we score for either invasiveness or the number of data sources or, um, you know, what kind of velocity usually organizations want to determine for themselves in an ideal state, uh, lots of different ways to, to go about it. Are there, um, I would imagine almost well, probably all of your projects involve the technology team, but are there other teams within organizations that seem a little more ready to adopt? So for instance, you know, HR systems versus financial systems versus, you know, sales, so on and so forth. Like, are there, is there a trend that you see or does it really just vary by organization? It's, no, that, that's good. And there, I don't know if you're trying to lead the witness here, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, right now we're, we're seeing like in the, um, in travel logistics, even airlines, we're seeing uh, applications that drive revenue as being those those targets yeah. for modernization. Uh, we're also seeing applications like in healthcare, some of these claim systems that are massive and cost a ton of money to yeah. support, usually with legions of people offshore. Uh, those are also uh, targets. Uh, but we could probably break it down, and this kind of goes back to our approach a little bit. I don't think I did it too much justice, but <laughs> um, when we kind of move past the whole people and process modernization and we get into what the the goals are, because I don't want to miss that here. I don't want to miss that usually the, or always, I shouldn't say usually, yeah. always the, the company's main business drivers where they're looking to uh, spur a better CX, a better uh, consumer and customer experience. Uh, how are you going to measure that? You're going to measure it by CSAT, by surveys, like, you know, is it just by, you know, revenue on some of these sites? If it's, you know, a, a real revenue driving application, is it patient care? If you're in the healthcare space, is it like we're, we're working with an airline right now on a baggage handling application? Is it, you know, the number of lost bags going down? You know, th there are many yeah. different metrics, many different ways to, to measure that. And we want to be crystal clear on that up front. Now, granted, that does change too. Those things are always continuously evolving. But 
once we have a really good feel for what the business value is that the customer is looking to derive from a modernization from microservices, then we usually start to kind of bring them down into features uh, like, uh, hey, how much uh, cycle time and how many iterations do you want to expect out of this? Uh, what areas of front-end CX are you looking to enhance? Um, how many features do you want in production? It usually kind of gets down to that level, and we find a way to measure what success is with our customers. But you know, oftentimes, too, it's just like rendering of technical debt. What kind of TCO compression uh, do you want out of this? Um, you know, Risk, what potential vulnerabilities are you looking to squeeze out of your uh, code base of your release uh, process of your application set, uh, even like bug prevention, ensuring that you're managing for unwanted overhead that usually, like we said, is rife across these these uh, you know big old application environments. Yeah. So as far as um, talking a little bit, of, you know, one, once a system is implemented, once these microservices are implemented. Um, is it is it safe to say they're easier to maintain or what is that what does that process look like and how do you work with organizations do you you know does tech systems stay involved um in the long term do you transition back to some you know some clients or is it kind of a mix of both and it's yeah it's usually a mix of both yeah. based on some of those other uh, determining factors that we talked about how much incumbent talent is there what is the appetite of of leadership to be more bold with wider adoption uh, but I can I keep liking to bring or I keep wanting to bring it back, Greg, into agile terms. And if we did our MVP right, our minimum viable product, which is you know usually the the way to go here, when you yeah. do find back to your question on the either the low hanging fruit application set or a an environment that gets scored to not be invasive, that you can try this out, that you can experiment with, you know, whichever sort of uh, lever you want to pull as a company and you build towards an MVP, a minimum viable product, that is where you get to determine your velocity for wider adoption. So uh, again, there, there, there are many different ways to support our customers long-term. The, you know, the good news for tech systems, shameless plug uh, for, for us is that um, even though we're a very lean, very nimble, very agile-minded integrator and very agile-minded professional services organization, we are connected to the largest talent company, high-tech talent company in tech systems globally. So we can scale up or down depending on what our customer needs are across uh, seven global uh, centers with 4,000 uh, internal folks. It's like we, we've got something really cool that way. So we not only like we dog food when we say familiar with that term dog yeah, food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, we eat our own dog food when we when we uh, talk about leanness. You know, it's more than just hyperbole. It's more than just hearsay. You know, we are we are afforded the luxury of being custom built to give our customers a very lean and agile and pointed and surgical experience with, with modernization. However, uh, when they find that they want to scale and grow, we have that opportunity to, to do that with them. So I guess, yeah, I think we, we covered a lot of, covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything, uh, you, you feel like maybe we missed that you want to, you want to address as far as, you know, your experience or, or anything like that? There are, yeah. Th this is this is such a a big topic. I think there's loads of stuff sure, sure, <laughs> to yeah. uh, to uh, to talk about. Um, you know, we could even go back to like some of the 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 leadership stuff that could you know some of those challenges that that is you know depending on on, on your audience and, and the viewership or the listenership uh, rather to uh, to Agile World to the podcast. 
um, you know, that is something that I can't talk about enough is, is really being bold as an IT leader to stay the course. Uh, because when I see this sort of adoption and these sorts of modernization efforts uh, fail, the, the root cause can always be pointed back to, you know, having good, strong leadership with a clarity of vision, clarity of mind, and they can really not just set this iterative expectation for the company uh, on, you know, what this modernization effort is going to look like, but really point this back to the the business outcomes that, that, that they want to derive as a function yeah. of bringing in a tech systems, tech systems, global services. Good news is that we're kind of retrofit to, to help our customers do that because there's so much complexity uh, initially with, with this technology. This is just light years ahead of the steady state of how most organizations operate. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that, that leadership. And, and I heard, um, I heard the term recently, I liked a lot leanership, um, <laughs> like <laughs> <Nice>. lean leadership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I really, I, I really like that a lot because there, there's a, a way to do that and master that and get ahead of the curve of these, you know, 70% of transformations that, that, that everybody says are failing right now. I mean, do you see that if the organization, I mean, this is this is a big transformation. It's a big transformation to agile. I would say, just in general. I mean, do you see uh, more success rates when the organization itself is either an agile organization or becoming, in other words, people kind of understand the vocabulary already, and then yes. you're getting in there and transforming things. But it, to me, it seems like if it's such a foreign concept to you know adopt these agile practices because their day-to-day is very, let's just call it legacy or waterfall or yep. whatever we want to. Um, is that is that safe to say? Oh, man, 100%. 100%. And I think back, you know, maybe more shameless plugs, but this time for you. <laughs> I think it was episode 25 ish um being nimble by listening to the yeah. to the customer and, and you were talking you you were you know talking about vocabulary and talking about agile language and how you chunk work up into units of measurement like sprints and you know that's now evolved in like safe environments scale, scaled agile framework into uh bigger pis program increments that are you know usually between four to five sprints and and that like what that means and how you get velocity and what story points are and, and like that, that it has to go beyond just language. It really has to permeate that leadership and how leadership is thinking and how that all kind of boils down and renders down into how developers behave and how they're integrated with with operations and how DevOps really functions and, you know, I, I do like the high performing stats for DevOps teams. You know, this has been a bunch of analysts lately talking about this, that they are uh, 46%, I think is the latest. And don't ask me how they arrive at these right. you know, <laughs> you know, uh, very arbitrary numbers, but I'm, I'm sure it's true because <laughs> I can give you what our, our own experiences, but uh, you know, the high performing DevOps teams that really capture that agile thought and it's more than just vocabulary at the systems level and the app level, they're 46% more productive than their kind of non-DevOps wow. uh, yeah. peers and they have one fifth as many failures. So either, you know, massive issues in production that have to get rolled back or some big vulnerability that gets released into production. and. Wow. Yeah, that, that's just the cool thing about like a DevOps ecosystem right now is that you really truly get to weave in every little facet and part of the uh, SDLC, the software, the historic software development lifecycle and systems lifecycle, you know, into one experience. You know, that that to us is like the, the cool, cool part 
of what modernization does. It forces security to be woven into how you're writing code. It forces uh, what we've been hearing about for years through Agile, like things like TDD, test-driven development. It actually forces you to do things like test cases up front. Um, it forces you to do the op side of dev and ensure that your dev folks and the uh, systems folks that are provisioning servers are, you know, friends and not being hostile towards one another right, right. and working together and, and really looking to automate that experience and, and drive down the waste and drive down all the unwanted stuff. While back to our point earlier is ensuring that they're hitting the high watermarks of what is the business looking to get out of here. And that, that spirit of, of stewardship for the first time in a long time, I personally feel that the promises of Agile are actually being dignified uh, in the way that, that we have the opportunity to think and act and behave with more compressed technology uh, architectures now. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, um, Rick, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, again, I'd like to thank Rick Madon of Tech Systems, and thanks for listening. Thank you, Greg. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please rate the show on iTunes or contact me through my website at theagile.world. You can find my books, The Agile Brand and The Agile Web on Amazon and on my website at theagile.world.